Chats with Larry is a podcast of phone call conversations of me with my best buddy, Larry Keene. Larry is a retired minister and sociology professor, and he has the biggest heart of anyone I know. I'm Rabbi Brian, an ordained rabbi who heads religion outside the box, where I create great spiritual faith, religious content for intelligent digital age seekers like you. People of all religious affiliations of none and everyone in between. I decided surreptitiously to record my chats with Larry with the hope that he would later give permission so that you might enjoy listening in. As you can deduce, Larry gave his blessing. Enjoy as we talk about philosophy, religion, sociology, and life. With love, I'm Rabbi Brian. On today's Rabbi Brian Chats with Larry, five things. One, Larry recounts his wonderful memory, and I challenge that we can remember anything well at all. Two, Larry reads from his upcoming autobiography. Three, being grateful for memories. Four, rain. Five, another excerpt from Larry's autobiography. And I apologize, the conversation cuts off before Larry finishes. What's been the most surprising thing you've, I mean, it's a weird question, but what's the most surprising thing you've gotten out of writing your own autobiography? That's a really an excellent question. That's really, my first response to Virginia was, I don't remember very much. I just don't remember very much. And what has surprised me, if I can use the the image of, of a brick wall, as I pulled one brick out that I can remember, then other bricks became more loose and I pulled them out and then all of a sudden, it, hundreds of experiences and the details of those experiences came falling to the ground. Mm-hmm. And not, I just didn't, I mean, I started with one or two things I could remember. And the remembering of those just loosened all of the other memories. Whatever repression I was engaged in, yeah. uh, you know, when I let go of that repression, then all of the things that I'd been hiding because they were too painful or maybe even joyful came flooding. That's that's the biggest surprise for Wait. me as how, how recollect one recollection brings to life other recollections. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've probably had that experience, too. You start out with one small little memory more you talk about it, then it gets attached to other things and they start coming, too. And more you talk about it, then the details start chilling out, you know, and it isn't just bones you have, but you got flesh in the bones uh, more. I mean, memory is a marvelous thing. And it's more mysterious than we're aware of, I'm sure. It is but, quite a quite a bizarre fa- faculty. I remember I was sitting somewhere and I was trying to remember the Hebrew word for cat. I don't know why, but I was just, I was like, I can't remember it. That's so strange. And I don't know, 20 minutes later, 40 minutes later, the word comes into my head. And I thought, well, where the heck was that word? Where was that? Because obviously I know it. I couldn't pull it out. And we do that a lot, don't we? We, I can't, what is his name? What is his name? And then you you worry on it, you worry on it, doesn't come. Finally, you relax a few moments, and there it comes. I keep trying to think of it in a physical place. Mm-hmm. Like, where yeah. was that memory? Yeah, there's got to be a uh, <laughs> a, br- a brain wave there somewhere that's uh, synapsing or something and keeping you from getting it. Uh, electricity and 
chemistry all together. Uh, strange things, really strange things. It is. It, <laughs> bizarre. But, I do know that. The I mean, that was a wonderful question, Brian, you asked. Uh, and and if, as I quickly right now answer it, that seems to me to be the most wonderful surprise out of the whole thing. The most wonderful surprise is that you can remember so much. Yeah, yeah. And I really had kind of thought I wasn't remembering anything and that it was just the function of old age, you know, but well, perhaps it, the function of something else. Well, you are old, dude. <laughs> True. True. You got a couple minutes I can read you something. Yeah. And then I want to hey. talk with you about something that I heard about memory, but go ahead, read me. I'd love to hear. No. Well, when they were, when Harry Sturitz was doing the taxes with Virginia yesterday, I began writing and uh, these three little stories came out. I don't need to read them all, but here's one. My family was very poor, as my parents explained to me later when I could understand such things. However, I did not think of being poor as being particularly bad in those days. We were like everyone else that lived near us. We were all poor. They seemed to make it okay. We were all in it together. It never seemed weird to me. My parents were very creative in the ways the ways they distracted us from the dreariness, dreariness of living in our very poor neighborhood. Each year when the rainy weather of Washington State subsided long enough to give us a few weeks of absolutely beautiful sunny days, they would take us away for what they informed us would be a vacation. What's a vacation? I asked our father. He said to me, a vacation is a time when you can get away from your home and go to another place and have the wonderful time of your life. A vacation is a fun time for both children and adults alike. Mm. As you can imagine, we could hardly wait for the vacation time to come. The best vacation we ever had family all agreed on this, was when we packed up our old 1934 Studebaker sedan with camping gear and food and all six of us, and we headed west to the Pacific Ocean. We could camp on the beach for free, and we could also build a big fire next to our tent. We roasted wieners and put pork and beans cans in the hot coals for dinner, plus marshmallows for dessert, roasted by stringing an old clothes hanger and hanging it over the fire until the marshmallows turned black. Sleeping six people in an old army-issue tent, listening to the sound of waves pounding on the beach, made it feel as if we were spending the night at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. When the rain fell at night, as it always did on the beach at night, its hypnotizing sound on the outside of the tent quickly put us all to sleep. I remember to this day how quieting to the soul was the rhythmic sound of rain on the outside skin of a tent, especially when it was combined with the never-ending pulsating motions of the waves pounding on the beach over and over and over again. It is now as it was then, years ago, heaven's medicine for a good night's sleep. Mm. In the morning, it was cereal for breakfast, and then we were all given little buckets and little shovels to hunt for dinner. What's for dinner? I asked Dad. Clams, he said back to me. We're having clams for dinner tonight. 
I've never had clams before, Dad, I said. You'll have them tonight, said. Well, after a few instructive words from Dad about hunting for clams, we all went running down the beach, armed with buckets, shovels, and a whole lot of enthusiasm to capture these elusive creatures. And we found them. They were hiding in the sand, just as Dad said they would be. And after several trial and error efforts by all of us kids, all of a sudden, our buckets were filled, and we all happily made our way back to our tent. Mom was standing by the big fire, and we noticed that the big galvanized wash tub we often bathed in at home was half filled with water and was boiling over the fire. We have to go to the ocean now and wash the clams, Dad said to us kids. So we all screamed as we ran to the ocean to give the clams a good bath. Back at the tent, Dad said to us all, now take your bucket with the clean clams and pour them into the boiling water and watch carefully to what happens to them. Before long, all the clams began to open up and we could see the beautiful soft creature inside revealed. They are, they are very delicious, Dad said. You can scoop them out with a fork and put some salt and pepper on them, or you can dip them into some sauce your mother has prepared, or you can simply force the shell more open and put the soft clam directly into your mouth with, without anything on it at all, Dad instructed us. The three girls opted for the sauce choice, much more sauce than clam, as I remember I watched Dad pry open the clam shell and put the clam directly into his mouth. I decided that that was the way I wanted to do it, too. Yummy. I was hooked. No sauce, no pepper, and no salt for me that day. Just that soft, juicy morsel that I had rescued from its hiding place at the edge of the ocean. Well, that's a delightful memory. Isn't that a sweet memory? I can see it. And hear it, feel it, smell it just as clearly today as I did when I was, I think I was about 10. I think this, I, I, I got to tell you a, a something I found out. And I, I don't mean to shake your boots, but it would, I got to uh, bring it up. Was they did an experiment after 9-11 and they had people write down where they were, what they were doing. Oh, wow. And I'm sure you can remember where you heard the news. Yeah, yeah. And I can remember it clearly. I could tell you exactly what happened. And then they went 10 years later and they did this with 3,000, thousands of people. And they said to them, what, what happened on 9-11? And the people wrote down what happened on 9-11. Different. 50% different. Didn't matter on educational levels, didn't matter on economics, didn't matter on gender, didn't matter. 50% of people's memories were different than what they had recorded. That's what law enforcement officers say, too. And they, they, get a they said they, they didn't remember it right. And then they handed the people the, the thing that they had written in their own hand and said, here's what you wrote. How do you make sense of that? And most of the people said, well, I don't know what I was thinking back then, but that's not what happened. I must have been in shock. Yes. Yeah. And, and it just it, it it fascinated me that people would trust their current memory better than their past memory be, 
because they wanted to believe it. So the, sure, I think I think that's at play. But what you said is also true. If 50 percent of them remembered it just exactly as they remembered it earlier. No, 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 no. Not that 50 percent of the people remembered it exactly. Everybody had only 50 percent accuracy. Of oh, what, that's different. Yeah, I apologize. It wasn't that 50, nobody got it right. It was 50% of the facts were different for everyone. Mm-hmm. Boy, did that floor me to, to hear of that, which goes to say, and I, I, I have well, solid. You know the implications of that, don't you? It's gigantic, right? Yeah. What about the New Testament stories? What about some of the Old Testament stories? I'm just trying to go back tw- 19 years and, I, and, and it's all wrong. Well, I'm just thinking about the, as the children of Israel made their way out of the desert and years later then put it down in writing. Of course. Yeah. That doesn't, yeah. That, you know, as you say, it's a truth story, not a true story. The, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. You know, what I'm finding out is that it has really been a liberating experience for me. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. And then, too, it gives a little bit of an idea, even if it's not fully accurate, everything. It gives my children a chance to experience that world when I was a child. Oh, it's sure better. And the grandkids. Sure better than not having the stories at all. Yeah, because they're lost once you're gone. Would you put that, consider putting that in the introduction, something along the line of true and truth? Yeah, because I think I think you coming from the the grandchildren's and Alexander, the great grandson, just for him to know that, you know, your granddad never believed the Bible was true, true. Well, that's not true. You did believe it was true, true. But you came to change your beliefs on that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Do you you talk about seminary much? Uh, Yeah, that's in there, too. And then my early ministry. I'm only 130 pages into it, um, but um, I think I've you know, got a lot more work to go. And another lesson I've learned is, and Virginia helped me on this, when Virginia writes, she won't do it very often, but she does it beautifully. She goes into all kinds of details. And, you know, the sun was shining through the window and you should have seen the reflection it had on the glass and she'll right. describe that. And I'll say, get to the point, Virginia. What? Get to the point. Uh-huh. And it takes her forever to get to the point, even when she talks and tells the story. And while that is frustrating on the one hand, I have learned from it that you just can't give the bare bones of the story and it mean anything. Right. You've got to go into not only what happened, but how did you feel when it happened? How did the others around you feel when it happened? You know, don't give them just the bones, give them some flesh, too. It just and that has been helpful to me in in developing this. So it's so it's warm. Otherwise, it's not warm. You know, it doesn't have the heart. Right. So that has been really helpful. And then, you know, uh, with anything you've written, there's a, a wonderful transformation. You tell me if you've experiences that when you write something for every hour you do it you scratch this word out you put another word in and 
and you work and you struggle over it and it's uh, it's arduous. Yes, sir. And then you write it down and then a couple of weeks later you read it and you're more detached from it and you read it as if you're reading it for the first time. And because you've given it away, it's not yours anymore. And you, you say to yourself, wow, did I write that? <laughs> that feeling, did I write that? You know, your ego is out of it now. And so you can kind of approach it objectively. You've had experiences like that, haven't you? Where it's no longer an ego thing yeah. so much as it is, wow, I really enjoyed that. And you don't have to feel bad about enjoying it because it's almost, you've given it away as a gift. And uh, now you read it and you're like everyone else who reads it. Wow, this is good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't, it's funny, I don't reread much of what I write. If I look at something that I wrote a few years ago, I hate it compared then to how, you get critical. Yeah. how right. I, I feel like yeah. I, I have a curse of an artist of it's right. whatever project I'm working on and the project that I will be working on. But anything that I've done in the past, that one, I, that's hackneyed. Yeah, I, I feel that way with my sermons. Oh, this could have been said so much better than that. Yeah. That's part of your creative genius. You're, you're still growing and you realize that <clears throat> that's a good thing. But I love the sense of when something is you've done is objectified. It's not so it doesn't have ego written on it. You can just be free to enjoy it, you know? Oh, good. Well, you know, I'm glad. One, I'm so tickled that you're writing all this stuff. I, I still remember. And look, I can't remember the memory. I can't trust my memory of it. But I remember you telling me the story of you putting your hand through the gate, through the fence to touch your sister. And I remember oh, saying to you yeah. something along the lines of how you didn't seem to think it was a big deal. Yeah, the, the chain link fence, you know, reaching through those little hands. I can still see those little fingers. Yeah. Because I was six, and then they were five, four, and three. And uh, I remember, we'll see you tomorrow, the same place, like that, you know. What a, and, what a, you know, did you? That's one of the most hurtful oh. moments in my childhood. I just can hardly think of it without feeling all those feelings all over again <laughs> so you know that's different larry because when i met you and you first told that story you didn't have any emotional attachment to it yeah it was yeah. it was just i think you're you you're you're growing in your you're growing in your emotions yeah i think so too i think so too i think so much had been repressed i just wasn't feeling very much you know that's what we do with trauma it is it's too much to feel, so you just turn turn it off. You shut that off. That's down. right. Just turn it off. Yeah. yeah. I remember you know, I've shared that moment when Virginia was in the hospital and we weren't sure she was going to live. At least we didn't understand what was wrong. Yeah. And I didn't preach the sermon. I just sat in the chair and the people talked to me and for an hour we all cried. Yeah. I think that was for me a changing start of unbottling, you know. You can make sure to write about that story, yeah. I I do need to do that. I get it when I hang up. I'm going to make a note to myself to to include that. If I haven't included, it, I can't remember at all. So let me ask you a question, preacher man. If you were to preach a sermon right now, what would the topic be? <clears throat> Thanks for the memories. Remember Bob Hope's famous oh yeah song. Thanks for the memories. How enriching. 
memories are, uh, but how debilitating they can be too. That we all have bad memories. Yeah. But we have so many good ones too. It's important not to forget them. And for me, so many of the good ones were forgotten for years. Yeah. But yeah. as we said, kind of like the Hebrew word for cat, they're still in there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It isn't lost. I had read that somewhere. Nothing once remembered. It's kind of like it's been carved in your brain and you just have to locate it again. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the blessings of long life is that you get a chance to recover that, those things. And if you're surrounded by children and grandchildren, as you will be, they, they have a way of evoking or prodding to want to know more. Because even though we're related by blood, we have the same last name. There's a lot about me they don't know. Well, that's why you're writing this all down. And that's, yeah, that's and, and that's why you know I'm doing that. It's and it's really been uh, enjoyable. And and sometimes what I've done is I'll I'll call people like Kelly, uh-huh. who teaches English, you know, high school with her master's degree. She's smart as can be, a good writer, reads everything. And I'll say Kelly. Listen to this paragraph. Work on it with me, will you? Mm. And we'll, we'll sit down together. And she says, "Why don't you use this word?" And she'll she'll coach me along, and that's really enjoyable. Makes her feel good. I'm sure to be connected to Grandpa in a way that none of the others are. Yeah, they're all yeah. special that way. They sure are. Well, and you know what? Uh, your kids will be out of the nest in eight or ten years. Don't going know rushes, yeah. Falling in love, making babies. Do you ever think of yourself as a grandfather? I wanted to be a grandfather, but I couldn't figure out how to do it without having children first. <laughs> That's what I often say. I'm so glad it didn't drown our children because our <laughs> grandkids are so great. Yeah. It is one of the most beautiful California days. I hear the bird in the background. I thought I heard a child, too. Yeah, there's little children across the street playing with one another and a bunch of teenagers shooting basketballs. Oops. And uh, the, the neighborhood is alive. It's just beautiful. Good. And is it raining there? Uh, we lost the sun. We're done with the sun, I'm afraid, for a while. Oh, oh. I yeah. know that story. Yeah. Okay. I lived in Washington. I remember that story. Our idea of fun, I got to write this down, too, because I remember we really looked forward to it because our front door was kind of like your back door where you've got shoes yeah. and coats and stuff like that hanging on hooks and, and on the floor and stuff. We had that. Uh, we had rubber boots we called galoshes. I don't even know if they call it that anymore. I don't think they even make them anymore. <laughs> and we put our raincoats on and on you know two or three nights a week because at that time as I remember we didn't have a car we walked everywhere or rode the bus and uh, um, and we would walk in and we had so much fun walking purposely through puddles oh yeah and it worked until the galoshes sprung a leak you know and <laughs> then we would walk around the, the puddles but we would and, and our nose you know 
it's always rainy in Washington. Even if it's not raining hard, it'll be drizzling. And uh, I know that's that way in Portland, too. Sometimes it's just a drizzle. Yes. And it's cold and it's wet and your nose runs. But we never had colds. We never had colds. I think the constant runny noses just washed all the, <laughs> the, the germs out of our nostrils, you know, where germs reside. And I don't ever remember coughing or having colds or pneumonia or anything like that. And we just, it was, we were warm, dry, walking in the rain. And sometimes mom would start a song and we'd all join in with her. Now, why would it be that you remember it all that way and someone else might have the same experience, but only remember, only remember the negative parts of it? I know. I know. That's right. Brothers in the same family see a situation so differently. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I, I just don't know the answer to that. But what you say is true. It's, but I see it as a happy time. And when it rains down here, I just feel like I'm back home in Washington State again. Well, it's when, melancholy. It's a kind of a. It's, it's sad. I miss it, but I really come to life at the same time. Love, love when this uh, when travel opens up again. Love to have you back out here. I'm I'll so give anxious you to all do that. The, all the rain you want. I am so anxious to do that. The day we walked to the market. <laughs> I was pointing out the guys without hats on. You laughed. Oh, that's just common stuff here. Yeah, we remember are. that market uh, where the guy with the the beard. I asked him. Everyone from twenty to forty seems to have beards. Why do they wear beards? He says it's warmer. Yeah, come on, I'm cutting this thing off. You know. <laughs> I saw I saw a statistic. It said men with beards are far less likely to cheat in their relationship than women with beards. Ah, uh, bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm glad for you that you moved to Portland. There's I'm so happy. many wonderful things, but I'm not glad for me. No. Uh, I miss that part of it. I'll drive down your street every once in a while and look at the old house. Yeah. A good time. It was a great, wonderful. great time. I want to close this discussion by reading something. One more thing. Just Do one it. more. As I got older, more and more experiences with my father took me outside and connected me to people and places that he must have somehow felt would influence my life in meaningful ways as an adult. Living in Washington State gave us the opportunity to live near and to associate intimately with many Native Americans. My father was a man who was easy to love. He had a ready smile and never looked down on people whom other people did not always treat with respect. Not respecting other people whose background was different from his own was not something I ever saw my father do. A couple of his Native American friends asked him one day whether he'd like to join them in fishing for salmon in waters that were prohibited fishing for everyone except Native Americans. He told them he would be honored to watch them fish and asked them if he could bring his young son along to witness this awesome experience. He told them I was 10 years old and would be respectful of the privilege they were offering us. Yes, we'd love for him to join us, they said to Dad. We'll pick you up at midnight tonight, this Native American friend said. 
Why so late to go fishing, my father replied. You will better understand when we are through fishing, his friends said. They picked us up at midnight, and we drove to a marshland near a dam on the Columbia River. There were signs all over the fences surrounding the marshland with the words, no fishing allowed, written on them. The men ignored the signs, and we all climbed over the fence together. That was this week's episode of Chats with Larry. Please, before you listen to another episode or do something else, think about two friends who might enjoy listening to this and send them a text or email right now. Tell them to listen to Chats with Larry. Thanks to Steve Koch, my producer. There will be another episode next week. And thanks to all of you who donate and support to Religion Outside the Box. Religion Outside the Box can be found at ROTB.org. On the website, you can sign up for the 77% weekly, my spiritual religious faith message delivered to your inbox 40 out of 52 weeks a year. You can shop at the Etsy store for great religious spiritual faith creations. Learn more about the Saturday service and stop on by some Saturday, 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for a live streamed dog free religious service open to everyone. And a special thanks to Virginia Keene and as always to my BFF, Larry Keene. I love you, buddy. <laughs>